Hello, and welcome to Digital Marketing Musings, hosted by Merkel. Each episode, we choose a different expert to share the latest and greatest in digital marketing trends. Today, we're interviewing Eva Johnson, Matt Mirjeski, Alexis Sanders, and Island Wheeldryer about our predictions for digital marketing in 2022 and the marketing imperatives that follow for advertisers. All right, let's get to it. I'm Gaia Reed. And I'm Andrea McCartney. And this is Digital Marketing Musings. Welcome back to Digital Marketing Musings, season two. So excited to be here. Uh, to kick off our first episode of the series, uh, we want to talk about our predictions for digital marketing 2022, marketing imperatives, basically everything that marketers need to be knowing about uh, heading into this year. Guy, do you want to go ahead and introduce everyone? Yes. So we have a really great panel today of all Merkel guests, which includes Eva Johnson, Senior Director of Marketing, Matt Mirjeski, SVP Search Capability Lead, Alexis Saunders, SEO Director, and Island Wheeldryer, Director of Performance Media. Welcome to our show, everyone. Thank you. Thanks Thank for you. having Thanks. us. <laughs> All right, so kicking this off, Alexis, we're putting you in the hot seat first. <laughs> um, <laughs> so last year, the marketing predictions that we made were around a continued decline of CTRs, Google becomes more of a destination in and of itself. Um, and then of course, also focusing more on understanding Google's algorithm related to like EAT, which is the um, expertise, authority, trust signals that we can send through content. Uh, and then the core web vitals. How did that pan out this year? And what are you thinking is gonna happen in this coming year? Totally. So I'm really glad you brought that up because if you've been following along with our digital marketing reports, which I know everyone on this call has, but maybe the <laughs> listeners, you need to check it out. Um, we did see a declining click-through rate. And actually this past quarter, I think was one of the most harsh transitions that we've seen. Um, diving a little bit deeper, because you kind of handed these questions to us a little bit earlier, it made me a little bit curious and sparked my curiosity. And so I went through all the accounts that we had in our Merkle system and compared like year-over-year -year performance in clicks and impressions. And one thing that stood out to me is the fact that with ratios, you know, you have two pieces, right? And it can be a little bit confusing to tell what is going on when you have that. And one of the themes that we saw overarching was that in many of the cases, we saw that the growth rate of impressions simply was higher than clicks. So as an example, we had a grocery store that their clicks grew 14%, their impressions grew 97%, and so their click-through rate dropped down 42%. So I think it's a little bit misleading to say that organic overall has just decreased in click-through rate. Um, and you know, we have seen changes in the SERP, we have seen things there, but that prediction did turn out to be true across the board pretty much. Um, and in most cases due to that increase in impressions. Um, the other one you had mentioned was EAT. I think EAT is a great way to sell content, quality answers, and developing things that answer users' questions at its core and really matching that user intent. Um, and we do have a lot of case studies from this past year that have shown that that is something that aligns with people. Andrea's laughing because we just did our case study competition. <laughs> we had some like really great ones that came forward yeah. from the content side of the house. I think the other side of EAT that's really interesting is this reputation side and branding, um, which you know can be harder to extrapolate some sort of causation or correlation. Does like a link on the Better Business Bureau make you a better company or perhaps like increase 
um, your EAT rating, I guess, if you would call it that. It's a little bit harder to extrapolate, but I think content again and again has been something consistent we've seen that has been a performance driver for major brands. Um, and then finally, you mentioned Core Web Vitals, which is great because it's related to site speed and user experience and is going to connect into some of the predictions we have a little bit later. But um, the answer there is that what we've seen from at least internally our data perspective is that we've seen bounce rates decrease and conversion rates increase. Um, but in terms of people implementing immediately core vitals and seeing any lift in traffic or rankings, I just haven't seen any case studies with that yet. Um, the other thing to mention there is, once again, it's a little bit harder with the causation and correlation because if you're working on these large Fortune 500 sites and there's multiple things going on at once, it can be hard to prove whether or not a core of vitals impact had an impact. And I know, Andrea, you sent in um, some feedback as well to a survey that we had a few weeks ago or a few days ago about um, core of vitals that, you know, could have been the algorithm updates that caused yeah. shifts. <laughs> and so, like, um, so yeah, so I think overall, like, obviously, improving your user experience and improving your site speed is always going to be something on people's minds because, you know, you can bottom line affect your conversion rate. And so if revenue coming through organic is up, you know, what does that what does that matter if it's like, you know, infecting your rankings or not in that case, because it's making you more money. So, so yeah, it's just kind of recap some of the ideas there. And then did you want me to go into predictions or? Mm -hmm. All right. So 20, <laughs> 2021. All right. So, you know, we were, are at this point where last year we saw massive changes to how we, we thought about search because everything went online with COVID. Um, and one of the things that I've noticed in the past year, and I don't know if you've noticed this too, Andrea, is this idea of setting up an infrastructure for success. And a lot of things roll into that, whether it's like updating your CMSs and moving to something like I don't, we're not really CMS specific at Merkle, but we've had a lot of AEM migrations more so than we've ever had before. Um, we've had a lot of tool sets that have been developing and developing their ability to be more automated and more machine learning oriented. Um, we even have some proprietary tools at Merkle that we've been working on that relate to helping us using machine learning to categorize keywords, which is a big Casey thing, shout out to Casey. <laughs> um, and then in terms of data-driven reporting, Within the past year, we've had Google Data Studio come out and has enabled us to connect and pipeline all of our data sources together to create more meaningful dashboards and more insights-driven um, reporting, which has been all part of this infrastructure for success in SEO, which I feel like in the past year has been um, a trend that we've started to see building up and something that's going to keep blooming in 2022. Um, the second thing that I've noticed kind of like a momentum thing going into 2022 is this idea of customer experience. It's something that Merkle has talked about a lot overall, but something that SEO is uniquely positioned to plug into in many areas. Um, and part of that's because a lot of things affect organic search. And so a lot of SEO professionals, whereas previously we may have just talked to writers, are now talking to developers, are talking to UX professionals, are talking to branding managers, um, and really, it's more and more important to have SEO at a seat at the table early on in the process to make sure that, you know, we're building these systems that you can scale out and positively affect organic search. Um, and then the final prediction is more like things that are a little bit idyllic and a little bit more um, future of search type of things. Yeah, a little bit blue sky, you know, you guys, 
give us free reign here to pick what we want in. So, um, and those things to me include things like accessibility in that, you know, we have a whole generation of millennials, Gen Xers, and Gen Zers where the internet is so important to our lives that literally I'm sure everybody on this call knows exactly where their phone is at this moment. You having internet off is like a scary concept. And I don't think at this point we have a structure within our internet that is accessible enough to say if like half of us go visually impaired, which all of us are aging at some point, our eyes aren't going to be what they used to be. Um, we may lose hearing, we may lose, um, our um, ability to see as well. And so improving on accessibility and accessible standards, I think is something that eventually is going to get rolled into organic rankings because it's something that makes the internet accessible for everybody. Um, the second thing, I think within the past two years, we've had a lot of, I wouldn't say challenges, but a lot of attention that has gone into improving the inclusivity of our language, improving our ability to be more accepting of diversity. And I think the idea of inclusive language, which has come up by Google I and mean, has been mentioned, is something that as time goes on is going to be something that's considered more and more important. Um, and finally, yeah, I think the idea of controlling messaging for things that are factual. So for example, last year with COVID, um, and even before that, there was this idea that like, you know, if you Googled, is coffee good for you? And is coffee bad for you? You're going to get two different results. So there's this idea of an echo chamber. But for things like COVID, where it's like, you have to draw the line at some point as a company, and Google had to draw the line. And they eventually said, all right, we're going to make sure that we put the most factual, incredible information at the top of our search results mm -hmm. and control that. I think that's going to become more and more prevalent for information that is related to anything, your money, your life, or critical towards people's life and um, health and happiness and financial well-being. So that idea of controlled messaging for things that are undebatable. Yeah, that's um, my top three. Lots of stuff coming up. It's exciting. So switching gears, Matt for SEM heading into 2021, uh, many of our predictions were around the increasing concern for consumer privacy trend we've been seeing for a while and an increased time investment in non-Google search engines. So how did your predictions play out over that year? Um, and what are you looking forward to seeing in this next year, 2022? All right. Thanks again for having me. Yeah. I think I get about a C rating for last year, <laughs> if I'm being a harsh critic. Um, things that I think we're right. Um, privacy, definitely at the forefront, tons of conversations um, in the full year and, and still, uh, spoiler, will be a, you know, a continued prediction for the year ahead in terms of focus on being on the forefront of, of minds. So that one was correct. And also, um, you know, we mentioned search would be a very visual uh, sort of battleground is the word we use, and that, that is very much true and trend continues. And we also recommended that, you know, search teams work with their data scientists and analytics experts, meaning there's a lot more data to sort of comb through and you could, you know, sort of develop better models and scientific remarketing on steroids by virtue of your search traffic that comes in and all of that's true. Where we made some bold predictions were increased investment, non-Google search engines. 
Google still dominated the year. <laughs> so I think not as much time went to, you know, like, you know, Apple search ads or Instagram figuring out search there or Facebook figuring out search and some of these ancillary platforms and Pinterest. Most of the time and attention just continues to go to Google in our space because it dominates the marketplace. And uh, and we also made a bold prediction that Apple would sort of introduce softly their own search engine, um, you know, not sort of calling out if that would be organic or paid. I still think, you know, as we get towards the end of the show, we'll talk about that as my blue sky. Um, but if I think about, so that's where the C rating comes from if I'm, if I'm being if I'm being fair, if I look at the year ahead, privacy is still top of mind, but it's not as much from like what is the law going to say? How do I comply? What is consent? It's much more about conversations in you know how do I scale known customer engagement? Um, what is my path towards using advertising technology in a way that will be compliant? but will also be critical to my business, to my performance, but moreover, the customer experience. Like I want to know that this is my customer so I can then speak to them personally and help them in the journey. A lot of people use like travel as an example there and you know, preference for window seat, aisle seat, meal choice, type of pillow you like in your hotel room. Like, all of these things we now expect as consumers to be known by the brand that we engage with, so we're not restarting the conversation every every time we open up the browser. And that's what a lot of our marketers are most interested in, so that they can, you know, so so privacy has this sort of dark connotation that some some breach of privacy is happening, but in fact, I think most of our marketers are thinking about how do I use technology and like sort of privacy in a customer experience realm so that I can actually be more more helpful and meaningful as a brand. So that will continue. Um, I mentioned the visual battleground aspect. I mean, if you just think about it, just in, close your eyes for a second. Um, if you think of a Google search bar and hitting that search button, that go button, Google search now, or I'm feeling lucky, either one, uh, but Google search, you know, five years ago, you would have thought of 10 blue links on a screen. And now to think of that feels so <laughs> archaic. It feels like there's no way I would even yeah. stay on a page like that. Um, and, and so what does that mean? It means that image extensions, shopping, um, maps, videos, mm -hmm. that is what we expect now. Um, and there'll be more and more formats in, in search that come that way. From a practitioner's level for 2022, I'm going to call it the year of reimagine and rework. So the reimagine aspect for the for the practitioner means Google Ads has become a one-stop shopping ground. You know, stopping or sh I guess it's like a shopping ground, but I, I shouldn't <laughs> use that word. It's like a one-stop shopping. It's one stop, one place inside Google Ads. You can buy all the things now from search to shopping to display to discovery ads to YouTube to local ads, the possibility is there. And so why reimagine? I think really there's a tale of two Googles now, and they've been building and mounting towards this. I think it's finally here and real, which is Google has a highly sophisticated suite of 
incredible, flexible, powerful technology tools that are built for the advanced users. Like they've got massive amounts of people focused and working on that, you know, in, infinitesimal next level and having the ability to get it. But then there's the masses, and it's really an out-of-the-box automated solution sort of for the rest. And I think the reimagine is for a lot of marketers, like the rest might be good, might be good enough. It's not, it doesn't have a negative connotation to be in a group that says, I'm going to take the off the like out of the box, off the shelf solution from Google, and I'm going to focus on automation, uh, allowing Google to automate my campaigns and one stop shopping. And I, the marketer, then I'm going to do my job about sort of core marketing tactics back to the customer. You know, how do I engage them better? How do I make sure my site and experience can pull through and let Google do its thing? Now, for a lot of our clients, they're in that highly specialized, they need that edge case, right? Like it means, it's meaningful to the business to get a percent better. You know, that's one way to think about it. So, so then what does rework mean if you're a practitioner? Um, it means to an extent, you do need to trust and let Google do their job. You know, for years, we over-engineered our campaigns and highly obsessed over keyword funneling and single keyword ad groups and make sure my structure is dialed into the nines. And in fact, there's a little bit more of, a, of sort of like a letting go and a trust fall for all, I think, search marketers around like Google's job. They're good at understanding intent and matching that intent with the right answer in the right moment. And there's no more page two. Like if you're on your phone, the majority of traffic and you do a search and you don't see what you like and you might scroll just a tiny bit, you probably won't. If you don't see it, you're gonna search again. You're gonna say like, let me try try over. Like it's not worth trying to scroll through. So how do we focus in on letting Google do their job? Let us do our job. And our job then is shifting thinking to competing about, you know, is my ad copy conveying the right product or solution? Does my landing page reflect that in that pull through to help the customer? How's my content on my site? Is that sort of, you know, convincing or, you know, reflective of authoritative um, to answer these questions about product or solutions? And so I think all of that speaks to why we think the customer experience is so important. Instead of trying to re-engineer the game inside of, of Google and inside of Google AdWords. And, you know, for years we needed to do that because Google did fail to honor that and sort of like took the money and ran bad matching and <laughs> muddy data. We're not seeing that as much in the year ahead. And so I think it's sort of that reimagine and rework your focus as a practitioner towards those new realities. Sounds like a bit. What would your prediction be for your individual grade? for 2022 predictions? What do you think it's gonna play out to be? Oh, okay. Mm. Well, I suppose I didn't give as many bold statements as last year. So I think <laughs> I'll probably get pretty high high remarks on that because it's a little <laughs> bit general. So the grade, I guess, how will we how will we grade if, um, if that came true or not would be, you know, did more people sort of embrace that sort of giving up on some of those age-old uh, habits day in and day out in the campaign and 
And so I'm sure there's an Opti score somewhere to tell us if we went from from one level <laughs> to another. Out there. Cool. Well, shifting gears again, Island, you're now in the hot seat. Uh, coming out of 2020, many of our predictions for display and paid social revolved around an increase in advertiser spending uh, for these channels and also kind of the customer reverting back to their pre-COVID behavior. Um, do you think these have panned out this year and what do you think is going to happen uh, for next year? I would say that it was a combination in parts, yes, and in some parts, no. Um, I think generally we did see an increase in spend for display and paid social. As far as what factors led to the increase in spend though, um, it was probably more through overall growth in digital marketing on the whole from COVID and some other factors. Generally, um, instead of a distinct philosophical, uh, philosophical shift in how advertisers balance their marketing blend, <clears throat> I think um, where the increase in spend was mostly seen were expansions into mid and upper funnel tactics uh, that led to advertisers testing paid social platforms more uh, in addition to Facebook and Instagram, which were already pretty well established. Um, there were some bumps there, but also people dipping their toe into Pinterest or Snapchat or TikTok. Um, then there was also some increase in spend on video um, whether that be YouTube or CTV. Um, the YouTube push was partly due to Google continuing to iterate on their performance-based campaigns. So TrueView for Action became video action campaigns. And um, that was a good reason for advertisers to either test or retest with the performance increase we saw there. Um, and then as far as looking back at 2021 and looking into the future, I think the big budget addition or reallocation for display and paid social specific to those channels um, within an advertiser's blend uh, might come at the end of 2022. And the reason for that is that um, we have already started to see this, but it will become even more prevalent is the use of model data and um, the either reintroduction or introduction of um, some alternative methods of analysis. So we're thinking like MMM or just taking a look at a, a broad picture of cross-channel performance and advertisers trying to understand what is driving performance. When those things are done, typically display and paid social do see some bumps. Now, the question will be whether those advertisers um, remain tight with their efficiency. In that case, we'd probably see uh, them shift dollars within their existing budget. Um, if they are looking more toward growth, though, and are willing to expend more dollars, then you might see um, incremental focused in display and paid social. Um, growth is a never-ending objective um, and those mid and upper funnel tactics within display and paid social will always be a driver of that um, and that's where we might see that shift happen so 2022 is going to be a lot of things um, i think i would echo a lot of matt's comments on privacy but one of the big things there with measurement being the contribution 
of displaying paid social is going to be reassessed. And the outcome of that is probably going to be that more dollars need to be spent there. Um, so I can't say specifically whether that prediction was right. I think it was right in a sense. I think we will actually see some of that shift um, in the latter part of next year, though, as well. Um, I think in terms of the use of that model data and that causing a shift in budgets, I think there's always going to be a, a lag. And so the timing of that shift, we might get through another holiday season before we see really big shifts between channels, um, but probably at the tail end of 2022 into 2023. How did I, how did I do as far as Great. answering that? Do you want to hear my 2022 predictions on the whole? I mean, yeah, let's do it. Okay, so <laughs> uh, jumping off from this question about spend, um, the measurement piece is going to be very interesting. Uh, what advertisers need to do to piece together. Um, a clear understanding of what's going on will be a major challenge for 2022. So what that means is taking uh, data from in-platform reporting, especially closed um, loop, uh, walled garden reporting, um, MMM, those sorts of things, and stitching them all together into some comprehensive view of what's going on. Um, that will be a major challenge next year. And it won't end next year. This is the thing that I'm talking about where <clears throat> at the tail end of 2022, it's really a very large preparation for 2023. And that timing is um, relevant because that's when we actually expect the third-party cookie to be deprecated at this point. That timeline keeps getting pushed back. And um, on the privacysandbox.com site right now it still marks testing for flock and fed fledge and some of these other apis as q1 of this upcoming year and we already know that's being pushed back to times like q2 q3 possibly um, and so advertisers are going to going to have some breathing room but they're going to need to figure that out so that's my first prediction for 2022 is that by the end of the year advertisers will come to terms with the fact that they need to reimagine how they measure performance and make decisions um, about things like budget allocation. Um, the second thing is I will second Matt's prediction about privacy. I think that it might be one of the aspects of digital marketing that have implications for a majority of the um, things we do. Uh, things like what Google ends up doing with their sphere of influence, um, what they choose to participate in versus not. We already know that they've said they're not going to participate with, um, or they're not going to universally participate with um, alternative IDs. So it's going to be a somewhat of a Google versus um, a lot of others. I don't want to say everyone else, but a lot of others. Um, and where those tech providers choose to go. So the rate of adoption with alternative IDs is going to depend on, one, how many pubs decide to take a part of that, and then what performance um, can prove out. So that'll be 
uh, slow progress next year as well. Um, the item is around identity. I think um, another piece of that that will be interesting is how site identity tech evolves. Uh, Matt, I think, touched on this as well. Um, being able to identify who is coming to your site, both for the purpose of more persistent remarketing or understanding and providing a better customer experience, but also doing prospect modeling. Um, so that'll be how identity plays a role. Um, paid social, I think paid social will continue to see an increase in spend. I think that uh, one of the interesting things there will be, I think a couple interesting things. One will be um, how influencers are put into um, an overall portfolio. Um, we've definitely seen advertisers do more engagements with them, but I think that influencers are probably not going away in 2022. So we'll probably see more and more adoption of um, campaigns, coordination with influencers. Um, and let's see what else. I might have more to say later, but I, if I was to go with a third or a fourth, I don't know. Um, with Meta's announcement, I don't think we're going to see anything tangible in 2022, but it's going to be very, very interesting to see where they go with all of this. Um, one, uh, when we talk about Google and Facebook, what are they? They're pretty much advertising companies. I mean, I think Facebook even admitted that to Congress at some point. You know, we run ads, Senator or whatever Zuckerberg <laughs> said. Um, and so one of those things is they're always looking for ways to increase the volume of product they can offer, meaning inventory. Uh, so what Facebook does with all of their apps, what they do in the virtual space, it's going to be very, very interesting. Um, and we're probably not going to see anything tangible in 2022 but we might start to hear some things about uh, more definitive things around their vision. Um, and so although we may not see things until five years from now, um, it'll be very interesting to see what the news is in 2022. So I think those are some of my predictions for next year. Great. And Eva, we're kind of moving away from channel-specific uh, uh, predictions here, but introducing our, our marketing imperatives uh, perspective in for 2022. So given everything that we're seeing in the industry at large this year and the call outs that uh, everyone's already discussed pertaining to individual channels, what focus areas are underscored within the Merkle, uh, Merkle imperatives for uh, 2022? And why are they important for advertisers to incorporate into their annual planning coming up? Yeah, sure. So just a little background on the imperatives. Um, Merkle has been putting out a, it's pretty much a guide every year that sets the vision for the next year. Um, and it's called the imperatives. And it's usually a set of three. Um, and it's aimed toward uh, the C-suite or brand leaders. Um and it just aims to expand their thinking around how to use marketing. Um, and it's obviously very influenced by, you know, what's going on in the economy at the time. Um, if you look back and when we first released our imperatives in 2012, I think it would probably um, 
you know, it, it, things change so quickly that it would probably be embarrassing to hang your hat on that now. Um, so yeah, we're looking, uh, to 2022 and beyond with this next year's imperatives. And, um, last year we sort of set this foundation as a customer experience management company. So, um, we posited that data transformation plus digital transformation equals customer experience transformation. Um, and this year we're expanding on that vision. So the three imperatives are expanding the vision for first party data. So this really taps into that theme of privacy, um, the deprecation of the third party cookie um, and how that will impact people's marketing. Um, the second is you get what you measure, so measure what matters. Um, don't just measure what you can measure. Um, make sure that what you're measuring uh, says something about, you know, a common shared goal of the business. Um, so what is that? Um, you know, is it more revenue? Like, let's work backwards from there and get every department in an organization in alignment with what that goal is um, and then measure our progress toward that goal. Um, so it's really about breaking down organizational silos um, in service of a greater purpose. Um, and then the third is around next, next generation loyalty. So this isn't loyalty in the very um, literal sense of rewards. Um, but more about how you're going to build relationships with today's consumer. So, you know, today's consumer is very digitally savvy. Um, they want to shop their values. So this idea um, of, you know, standing for something, a brand has to stand for something and make that known with their marketing. Um, it's not about product features and, um, you know, what's cheapest and, and, um, you know, these things that people were really pushing, um, in years past. So it's thinking about, you know, how you create these long-term lasting relationships with your customers through marketing. Um, so those are the three imperatives for the next year. And, um, you know, some of the things that came up with, um, on this, this podcast, um, you know, really like what's this, this, uh, emphasis on branding media. So, um, are we going to see an allocation toward more like branding type channels? Um, because people are shopping their values. Like, are we going to see more of like media as a storytelling device, um, versus a more transactional thing? Um, so how does all of this activity that people are planning, how does that all coalesce into a way to tell a story about your brand? And then, you know, how is that influenced by the data you collect on your customers um, and doing that in a privacy safe way? Um, so trying to create a feedback loop uh, through your media channels so that you get information about your customers and, you know, on a very regular basis that you can then deliver value to them um, in exchange for their data. So, you know, a metaphor that we use for that is just like your, your Apple watch, like that tracks, if you use it for a fitness purpose, like it's tracking very personal data. Um, but the value you get from that is that your watch is holding you a task on 
your activity. So it's telling you, you know, like get up from your desk and take the move around. Um, so there's this idea of you know, creating a value exchange that we're going to have to embrace in order to um, use data in a privacy safe and meaningful way. Um, so that's kind of the focus of, of next year's imperatives. They're pretty broad. Um, but the idea is to just get people to think about these things that are very commonplace a bit differently um, and really expand upon what they can do and get out of sort of like, you know, the ways that they have been doing things because they've performed in the past. But like, what is the future consumer going to look like and what are they going to want? Um, and, you know, planning for that. So, yeah. And those will come out in the third week of January. Sorry. Just we'll plug <laughs> those will the the imperatives will come out the third week of january perfect we can't wait perfect <laughs> and this also this conversation cues up cues us up nicely for our last question here and this is for everyone to participate in um what do you think is going to be happening in 2022 just overall in marketing and bold predictions are welcome I would say, um, based on the fact that we're probably going to have massive supply chain issues due to multiple contributing factors that have gone into that, that are kind of out of digital's hands, we're probably going to see a lot of efficiencies and like ROA type optimizations. Um, I would also say like for search, I would expect more requests coming through from recruiting teams with our clients because with the great recessions there's been a lot of transitions in our industry and i think recruiting really good talent is something that a lot of people interact with online as well so i'd expect those type of requests to come through adding a plug for our supply chain disruption episode uh <laughs> back in season one Good help people yeah <laughs> All right, I, I'll go. Um, Eva just sparked one for me, which was sort of that trade-off. And uh, I don't think this is happening next year. But let's just go bold a little bit for a couple years out. And we're speaking, I'm speaking now to the platforms. They need to be a part of this conversation as well. Think about their plans. But, I, you know, there are companies like Google where there's a known trade-off in what you reveal you know, versus what you get, right? Like get Gmail free and um, let's keep building on that. Like if Google's pretty forthright with, we're gonna, you are our customer and you make us money, you're gonna get YouTube TV for free if you do the following things. Like, I think there's a lot of people out there who would actually like knowingly say like, cool, do what you need to do. Anonymize me to some degree, but like, yep, I'm selling my soul a little bit for 60 bucks a month, you know, and streaming's the way to go. There's one thing. The other platform uh, conversation I'd have if Apple is listening is Google pays Apple between 12 to $15 billion a year to be the default search engine. I think it's the most underreported, sort of under-acknowledged metric in our space apple holds all the cards mobile is everything used to be less of a deal but now everything is mobile pull up safari type in a search you're going to google what if all of a sudden i started typing in a certain you know like tv model number and instead of google 
Safari took me to my Amazon app with that product. And Amazon paid Apple $5 billion for product level queries. And they know I have the app as a user. And that's super helpful to me. I want Apple to do that if that's my user preference. Apple makes more money, puts Google in competition with Amazon and other players. You know, all the platforms can get in on the game. Apple can stay AKA agnostic. It paves the way for them to launch their own search engine as they break people away from Google. So if Apple's listening, you can make more money, you can make things more competitive, you can honor privacy in a way because you're saying, look, we're going off intent here. We understand intent. We have a search engine, Apple. Um, and we're sort of going with this. I don't think it's coming next year, but like just as somebody who likes this space, I think it should go that way. And again, it could be done in the name of privacy and helpfulness. I like it. In addition to, uh, to hot takes for 2022, we're giving business tips also. <laughs> I would agree with Matt that um, think that there's, you know, Apple, Facebook, or Google drops something, some bit of impactful news every six to nine months. Um, I am curious what Apple's plan is. Um, just because the um, their ability to control a lot of stuff, as Matt was just talking about. So I'm, I'm also curious to see what that looks like beyond next year. Um, but I think since everybody already took a lot of good predictions, I'll make two fun predictions. And those are, one, I'm going to try to predict when Flock and Fledge will be broadly available. And then I'll predict when um, the third-party Chrome cookie, the Chrome third-party cookie will be actually deprecated. All right, so I'll predict first that Flock and Fledge will actually be available, um, I'll say, for broad, for broad testing. Um, I'll say October of 2022. Um, I think that's a win-win situation because if it actually happens October, I predict it correctly. If it happens sooner, great, because we get to test it sooner. Um, and then I'll say that because right now the timeline is 2023 for it to be deprecated, I don't think they're going to do it during the holiday season. So I'm going to say Q1 of January, or Q1, let's just say Q1, that gives me a margin of error. Uh, for 2024. That's what I think will actually happen. Those are my predictions. I feel like that's pretty bold given the uh, the rollback dates oh, that know. have been happening. I hope you're right. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I have to, you know, you have to also be optimistic. So I think those are, I think those are a good balance of fun Very true. and realistic. Very true. Very true. Well, uh, Eva, did you have any predictions that you want to throw in there? Or do you feel like you covered off on them pretty well in your, your segment? Um, I'm not as in the weeds as the rest of the people on this. Um, <laughs> but I do, I think a lot of brands will have a identity crises because you probably saw this over the last two years. I think that consumers are so smart and they know exactly what people are trying to do. Um, like my parents understand what retargeting is, which like, <laughs> so that's, you know, really baseline, but like, I think that 
especially as like Gen Z becomes more prominent in the workplace, um, like they can, can I swear on, they can like sniff out the bullshit pretty, Mm -hmm. pretty easily. (laughs) Um, So I think that that's going to make things kind of hard for brands that aren't super um, agile and like anyone who is too attached to things that have worked in the past, they may suffer Um, just because things like everything that's been mentioned so far will happen so quickly. And, you know, it may happen at times that aren't anticipated. Um, So, you know, I think that that's going to pose a big challenge to brands um, that aren't thinking ahead. Um, And I think you're going to see a lot of like cringy (laughs) making the most of the moment. (laughs) I was going to ask you that, like, how many like how many Pepsi commercials do you think we're gonna have? Like the one where they had with the Kardashian girl? Like how many of those do you think are we're gonna see coming out? Right. Yeah. Right. I mean there probably been a so lot many more examples of that. Yes. Yeah. Probably a lot more. It's hard to get it right, you know? I mean, like, I don't know if you guys just saw like that Peloton ad that came out like a week after the Sex in the City reboot <laughs> aired. But like that, I think that was powerful, but it that probably had to come together in like how many days? Like two days or something? That's wild to me. But I think that's what's necessary. You know, you have to react like that quickly in order to seize a moment or... Especially with TikTok, right? Like how their trends go right. like so fast. Like right. you have to be have someone right. on TikTok the entire time to keep up to date with that algorithm. Yeah, I had seen some some stats around how much the virality rate is increasing, and things are viral for a much shorter window of time. A lot to keep up with. Well, if you have if you have any tips for how to teach your parents about remarketing, I have been trying for a <laughs> while, but haven't really gotten it right yet. Yeah, my dad's still using Yahoo. That's there's next podcast. Right <laughs> I was gonna say it reminds me of the, do you, do you guys ever see that episode of Shit's Creek where she's like, You fold in the cheese, David. You fold in the cheese. Just fold it. I can't explain it for you. You fold it. I can't do everything for you. It's kinda like you're like you you market it and then you remarket it, Mom. I can't explain everything to you. <laughs> you just keep doing it over and over. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I think it would be a good challenge for, um, and I don't know why this hasn't been done yet, um, for the advertising industry on the whole to come together with an advertising campaign about why advertising isn't bad. Um, I think that there's so much negativity (laughs) about, you know, oh, I get bothered with these remarketing ads all the time. You went to those sites. That's why you're being remarketed, (laughs) right? Oh, I'm being prospected with these ads. They're giving you prospect ads, prospecting ads based on your behavior. Um, so like the ability for the advertising or the opportunity for the advertising industry to come together and um, do something mutually beneficial, I think, would be good. Maybe while Google and Apple and Facebook are all listening in from Matt's call outs, they'll they'll join forces we think that's the cool thing about display and search overall is like we're trying to meet people with where they're at 
Right. And I think we've been trying to do that for years. And, and Merkel has been really well known in the CRM space for trying to do that and using relevant data to match people with what their needs are. So like, I don't know. I feel, I feel like marketing has a lot of benefits for society, right? Like, you know, helping people's attentions and helping people like, you know, retain jobs through driving additional incremental revenue. I'll say one more thing. Yeah, I uh, I won't mention a name in particular, but if there was research to be done, and it's another interesting thing about um, whether there is a devious um, plan on one of these big three's parts. Um, basically, you know, it was a marketing campaign in itself in the way that privacy was treated as like a value prop. Um, and it hurts some, but not all. And so seeing where they choose to take that um, in the future, I think, is also interesting um, because they're going to have to transform that at some point. They're going to have to shift at some point um, because they've put themselves in a powerful position um, and how they choose to use that will be very interesting. So. Well, hats off to you because diving into the psyche of a major corporation is going to be a challenging endeavor because there are going to be really good ethical people in any sort of instance, and there are going to be people that, you know, are doing things for the wrong re the right things for the wrong reasons at all times, right? And I'm sure you could poll 50 people in Google in an anonymous survey, and I'm sure there'd be a certain percentage layout of, of each of those core reasonings for doing things. But, you know, it kind of just feels silly to like, you know, judge them for doing the right thing with the wrong well, intentions, right? If they're doing the right yeah, thing, the it's thing, like, is it the right thing? you know, yeah. Ethics. <sighs> the big questions. Yeah. We could probably chat another whole, whole episode <laughs> on that. Very true. But with that, we should probably start to wrap this episode up. Uh, so uh, Eva, Matt, Alexis Island, thank you again so much for joining us today. Really fun to have you guys on. Um, yeah, so much fun to have you guys here. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for Thanks. having us. Yes. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Bye. That brings us to the end of this episode of Digital Marketing Musings. If you have an idea for an episode for our 2022 season, we'd love to hear it. Just drop us a line at digitalmarketingmusings at mercalink.com. And as always, please don't forget to hit that subscribe button and rate and review our show. It helps others find us. And please be sure to tell a friend about us as well. Until next time, I'm Andrea McCartney. And I'm Gaia Reed. Bye.